Welcome to Let's Talk Ed. I am Chris Ford, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Zahi Atala. Zahi, how are you doing today? I am doing okay. It's cold outside, right? We've got those blizzards and, and super chilly temperatures, wind chills that are in the 35, 40 below, and winds that are blistering, but inside it's pretty cozy and nice. No yes. complaints. The bomb cyclone has hit the United States and uh, swept through. And, you know, I, I think one of the things and what we're going to talk about this week is, is enrollment changes and, and how things change. And that is something sweeping through higher ed right now. See that? See what I did there? Um, so, you know, if you're an administrator in higher ed, you've no doubt been talking about the enrollment cliff that is coming. And, you know, all kinds of colleges, you know, they're figuring out how do we prepare for this? So, uh, you know, just in general, Zahi, when we talk about the enrollment cliff, what we're talking about uh, is there are going to be fewer college students because there were not as many babies born about 18 years ago. Yes, yes. And, and this is if we've slept at the wheel and and now we're waking up to it, it's a, perhaps late because it's expected that we hit the uh, uh, cliff in 2026 where we have a precipitous fall. This is due to the fact that in the previous recession, 2007-89, there were fewer babies born, like you said, at the end of K-12, they're ready for college. There are fewer of them. Um, so that's, in general, the, the most imminent element of it. But the U.S. population, compared to the world population, in terms of age distribution, both genders, is also not looking uh, um, healthy for us in the colleges. We've got fewer uh, in the lower age brackets and more and more in the middle age and later age brackets. Um, so that is also compounded on top of the uh, lack of babies uh, being born. Yeah, and you know, it's an interesting quandary for colleges because you know, this obviously is affecting all colleges, two-year schools, four-year schools. Um, you know, you, you talk about the two of us, we're very familiar with the the two-year school model. Um, and, you know, there, there was a time that we just sort of, you know, we get who we get. And, uh, you know, the reality is there's now a lot of competition for, you know, these traditional age college students, um, you know, and add into that, you've even seen more and more colleges that are closing their doors. Uh, you know, some shutting down after a century or more of operations. So you're getting to a point too, where there are, you know, fewer places for these 18 year old traditional age students to go. Uh, so there's a pretty strong competition to, to sweep up who they can. Yes, and with regard to the fewer places that you just mentioned, maybe fewer brick and mortar places, right? Because there's still a demand for higher education or education in general. There are more and more online and hybrid approaches, and we'll be talking more about those 
later in the show, but uh, if I were a betting person, and I am not, I would suspect that the next generation uh, of colleges would be fewer than there are today, right? There was a proliferation of colleges in the 20th century in order to provide access, more and more access to individuals because there weren't very many cars, there wasn't the internet, there was no correspondence uh, education opportunities. So, uh, and you compound all of that with over a million people that passed away because of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? We, we tend to think, oh, they're all the uh, elderly. That's not necessarily true. That's actually in effect, not true, right? So, uh, and, and if we think about an aging population, then we need to reconsider our student age bracket and, and those are potential students, right? Every single person is a potential student for us. Um, so uh, yeah, we are we're staring at at uh, enrollment numbers that aren't necessarily looking great for us, right? So what does that mean? Our budgets are going to be impacted. Our ability to get apportionment from the state governments, or uh, if we're uh, public entities, are going to be impacted. Um, and those are major. Uh, in terms of our employment and those are major in terms of our ability to offer sections and breadth of uh learning opportunities for uh for students um but in the background we have to be cognizant of what may be going on so we can potentially impact change right yeah and you know you, you talk about the older population uh you know the the non-traditional students and that has been in higher education really the bread and butter of two-year colleges uh you know where somebody goes back to school uh later in life for whatever reason changing careers want to better you know their own position in life uh or or, or whatever um you know they would tend to go to a two-year school because it tends to be close to home in their backyard tends to be more flexible than a four-year school, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those that you have to be cognizant of that population, and it's a harder population to recruit. Uh, you know, with traditional age students, the, the recruiting model for all colleges is, is very similar. You know that they turn 18, they graduate from high school, and that next natural step is going to college. So you have this, you know, almost captive population that's really easy to, uh, you know, market and recruit to. But with someone that is looking to change their career, you know, I'm a 37-year-old single mother that wants to go back to school, or, you know, I'm someone that you know, has not been getting the jobs that I want. How do you recruit that person? Because they're just sort of out there. They are. Uh, and interestingly enough, so we have a declining population, but we have a steep increase in educational attainment within our populations. So there are fewer and fewer of those people available because of this, you know, like, downward slope in, in terms of, of population and upward slope in terms of educational attainment so so that uh, that population that we have to I apologize uh, to put it in those terms to work with 
uh, is is uh, fewer, right? Individuals. So, uh, and we're there are many more of us when you count in the additional um, private for profit and the online education that has spread. Now you can take classes from anywhere in the world. So there are fewer people and more options, which means as individual uh, smaller institutions or institutions that are local, we have fewer people to contend with. Right. And, uh, you know, if you're not a higher ed administrator and you're not worrying about this, there, there's probably something wrong with you. I, I remember, uh, you know, seeing something where there were like 3% of two-year school presidents that weren't concerned about the enrollment cliff. And like, I found that stunning because how do you sit there in the president's office and not be worried about this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but so it talks to the fact that we've, we've taken it for granted for decades, right? For as long as our doors are open, we're going to have people. And, and one of the things that many of the people that have been admonishing higher education for a long while, I think have it right, is that we're very slow in our changes, right? A glacial pace. So in, in terms of adapting to conditions by adopting uh, new habits or new formats or new whatever, although we profess that we're, you know, we're teaching people how to be adaptable, we're probably lagging behind our words in terms of our ability to do, uh, to enact those changes. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's a problem. It, it's kind of one of those systemic problems. Um, and it's one that has to change. Um, you know, it's always been a slow process. And, uh, you know, yes, at some point, you do have to rip the Band-Aid off to, to some extent. And I understand why things happen as slowly as they do. It frustrates me. I worked in the private sector before I got into higher ed. And, you know, the ability to adapt and change was pretty quick uh, because you had to, um, you know, whereas a higher ed, it's sort of like trying to turn an aircraft carrier versus trying to turn a sports car. And, you know, you, you've got to try and turn that a little bit faster. Uh, but at the same time, I also understand the fact that People fear change. It's it's hard to change. It's hard to adapt. But to some extent, you have to. You have to keep pushing forward. No doubt about that. And at the same time, again, we talked about that in the sector of higher education, uh, the growth has been mostly in, in the uh, private for-profits. But the major big-named institutions are not going to lose uh, any of their uh, student populations, right? The, the big name universities, the Illinois, the Wisconsin, the Minnesota, the Purdue's, uh, the Michigan's are not going to lose because they're big name. They're, they've, they've got uh, that corner of the market uh, dialed in. 
but it's the regionals, right? It's the two-year colleges that are struggling even more and more and more, right? It's these small liberal arts colleges that that were a destination for a particular audience that are no longer uh, just committed to that type of education. So, but at the same time, the cost of education across the board has gone up. It has gone up far less in the regional uh, universities and public regional universities and the uh, two-year colleges compared with other uh, segments of that market, but it still has gone up. And, and therefore, the burden on taxpayers, especially in terms of Title IV, the federal financial aid, has increased dramatically. So the, the people who, who look at education and, and, and look at us like a business and want things to, to change, you know, we've, we've given you so many dollars, how many gizmos you're going to be producing, uh, in some ways are right. Because, you know, when we pipe in X number of students uh, in the pipeline at the beginning, and then five, six years later, we're graduating 20, 30, 40% of them. How how is that a good use of dollars, effective and efficient use of dollars? So, it's not about self-flagellation here. It's about thinking, uh, trying to crack that uh, that box and try to peel the onion uh, skin to see what the layers are going to allow us to to do. Well, and in our upcoming episodes here, we're going to peel that onion a little bit more and talk about you know, what colleges do and, and talk about, you know, some of the things that, you know, colleges can look at to change and, and work on all of that. And, uh, you know, a couple of really important topics that, you know, honestly, we could talk hours and hours and hours on either one of them. Um, and we probably will over the coming months, uh, you know, go back to that well. But, you uh, you know, it, it's something that, you know, all colleges are going to have to, to think about a little bit. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up, Zahi. Um, is there anything else that, that you want to make mention before we wrap up for our audience today? I, I just want to say it's not time to freak out. It's time to slow down and rethink what we're doing. Think about what we have been doing and rethink what we may be able to do. Absolutely. So uh, if you like shows like Let's Talk Ed, uh, you can find us right here on YouTube. You can find us on your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, so be sure and uh, like our content. You can subscribe and you'll get notifications when we post new content. And uh, glad you enjoy listening to uh, uh, let's talk it and also ring that bell as uh, he just indicated to me that way, especially here on YouTube, you'll get those notifications. Um, so for Dr. Zahi Atala, I'm Chris Ford. We'll see you next time on Let's Talk Ed right here.